cold calls, telemarketing, infomercials. These words sent a chilling shiver down my spine. In a world where folk are over the abundance of buy my thing being shouted at them, how do you avoid, avoid being lumped in with salesy slime? How can we tailor our copy to make users feel comfortable and want to buy? Today, Kath Fowler joins me to uncover how we can use psychology-based copy to persuade and sell. We'll delve into using clever copywriting to break down trust barriers and create a message that your clients will remember. My name is Kate Chin. I'm a copywriter, the founder of the Cover Copywriting School and the Recipe for SEO Success online learning hub. And with me, is my co-host in sunny San Francisco, Belinda Weaver. Yes, that's right. My name is Belinda Weaver and it's true that I am also a copywriter. My business is Copyright Matters and that's where you can head for all sorts of courses and content and all things copywriting. Courses and resources. That's what we love. And you weren't here with me on this episode. This is, this is a solo effort, which we sometimes do, um, but you're excited to listen to it, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. I was a bit miffed that I missed it because the whole psychology of marketing and, you know, tapping into our innermost secrets and desires and fears, I love that side of the copywriting. It's one of my favorites. My, mine too. And actually, this was a, a coaching call that we did in my digital master chefs group. So not even the copywriting group. It's another group I've got for people who want to learn about digital marketing. And it was so good. I was like, I want to take this and turn this into a, into a podcast. Kath is also a copywriter. Um, and this is the kind of thing that she specializes in. So I hope you're going to enjoy it. Oh, I definitely think I will. All right. Well, let's listen. Let's go. Hello and welcome to today's masterclass with one of our wonderful members, Kath Fowler. Um, I'm going to introduce Kath to the group. Kath, say hello. Tell us who you are and what you do. Um, so I'm Kath and my business is Kath Fowler Marketing. Um, so I'm an SEO copywriter and SEO consultant and I help businesses um, get found and look good online. Um, I like that USP. You have that honed. Honed. Yeah. Yes, we, pra- we practice those a lot. And it's a good thing to practice to get that right. It's part of being a good copywriter, which leads very nicely into today's topic, which is based on copy, uh, but not SEO copy. Today, we're going to be talking about psychology-based copy tips. So what did you mean when you came up with that title? What, what were you getting at? Yeah, I mean, I guess just to give you a bit of the background of me. So my background's not, I haven't studied literature or English and, you know, Shakespeare almost is confusing to me. So when I came to the copywriting world, um, I almost found a need, I needed a science-based mathematical formula almost to find my sweet spot in copywriting. And I discovered this sort of school of thought that, you know, some of the big guys um, write about it and other copywriters in this space, and it's used quite a lot in conversion copywriting. And copywriting is basically just how you can do improvements for your copy that actually tap into consumer behaviour and psychology. So if you take it a step back even from copy, I mean, one of my favourite subjects at uni was consumer behaviour, and this was before social media and all that existed, my experience of marketing. But you go to the shops and those chips and those chocolates are on the aisle level shelf. 
that's all you know, using psychology and marketing. They put those stupid little kinder surprise things, little shoot that you have to walk through in Kmart before you pay for things so my kids see them. So there's little things like that in marketing that I just loved, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago when I was learning about marketing. So when I became a copywriter, I was like, ooh, there has to be, you know, little tips and tricks that we use in our copy that actually tap into, you know, this lizard brain that we have going in there that we don't even know is sort of driving our thoughts because we actually are quite emotive creatures. Um, we, uh, we like to think we're driven by logic, but we're actually driven a lot by emotion. Um, so I, that's, I guess, where my 11 tips are about today. They're about you know, subtle things you can do in your copy and not even being a copywriter, just subtle changes you can make in your copy that can help to, I guess, use persuasive language. Yeah, I love that. And I think the thing is often, even though I am a copywriter, sometimes I read, I get sucked in by the ads and, and I'm not quite sure why. And it takes a bit of a step back to go, what was it about that that compelled me to click, that compelled me to buy? Why was it so easy to flow through that page and buy the thing? Whereas on others, I stop myself before I get to the shopping cart or before I make the call. So you've got 11 tips to share today. Some of them, especially if you're a copywriter, may seem obvious, but as said before we started talking often we know these things but we forget to implement them so I think this 11 point thing is is a great little checklist maybe we can even make it into a little checklist to just go you know have I done all these things have I ticked off each of these so let's start with the first one which is um, one that's mentioned a lot but often people don't understand if they're not copywriters and that's using the active voice so what do we mean by using the active voice yeah, so basically, I mean, we would have learned this in, in your course in the Copywriting Week, but there's passive voice and there's active voice. So passive voice would be me saying some useful tips will be discussed in today's masterclass, whereas active voice is this presentation discusses some useful tips to improve your copywriting. So it's just framing that copy in a way that is a more positive and active tone, or tone's not the right word, um, phrasing. Structure, yeah, yeah. Um, I find it very hard, because we did agree before this that I would then give an example, but I find it very hard to articulate the difference. And so one little tool that you can use to check if you're using active or passive voice is the Hemingway app, um, which we recommend, you know, that free one, and it will just highlight all the instances of passive voice. And once you see them, labeled for you it's easy to kind of flip it around can you just repeat that example though just one more time so I can yeah. get my head around. So the passive is some useful tips will be discussed in this presentation and the active is this presentation discusses some useful tips right so actually making the presentation part the focus as opposed to the tips part so it's it's just it's actually saying the same thing it's just saying in a slightly different way and I think at CopyCon last year uh, Kelly Exeter has some great examples of this um, yeah. like the man ran to the store and she flipped it around um, yeah, yeah and, I, and I wonder why that works is it just because it feels more it feels more alive it feels more real it feels more active I mean active obviously <laughs> but you know what I mean yeah. like why oh. 
positive in a way. I, yeah. I don't know if that's the right word, but it does. The thing is, I mean, I use Yoast as well. And your, me and passive voice are friends. Like Yoast is always saying I use too much passive voice. And I think it depends what you're writing for. Like if you're writing a sales page, I think you want to be really mindful about, you know, using active voice so you're getting your point across and things like that. But if you're writing a blog, sometimes you can use more flowy flowery copy that will put you into a more passive voice state that I think is okay to get yeah I think it works well in storytelling and and I think the thing is as well it's all about knowing the rules well enough that you're confident breaking them so you know it's not hard and fast but yeah Yoast Hemingway app is a good one to find you okay so the next one is all about repeating the core message in different ways so take us through point two yeah, so this is basically with if you're a copywriter or if you're, you know, um, a wedding entertainment. Um, <laughs> Good example. Um, yeah, if you're doing those kind of things, like you, like I said, my USP at the beginning, which is helping businesses get found online and making them look good. So with my copy on my homepage, I repeat that message, but I don't say it the same way. So I'll say, I'll help you get found in Google or, you know, I'll improve your social media presence because that's, you know, another way. So what it is doing is basically, and the psychology behind it is that people need a few instances to actually get a message sort of drilled into their head. So basically there's a quote that I read that said, tell your audience, and I'm sure Kate has said this so many times, tell the audience what you're going to say, say it, and then tell them what you said. So that almost even goes back to like my essay writing days in uni. You've got the sort of intro, you've got the body, you've got the conclusion. So they should all have a core theme running through them about the or message that you want to convey in that page, whether it's a sales page or whether it's a blog. You want to say what you're going to say, say it, and then back it up again. So basically if you're selling a widget um, and the main thing about it is that it will save you time, you want to save time. You want to say gives you back time to spend time with your kids. You want to say will save you three hours in the day. So they're all sort of similar, but they're saying the same thing in different ways. Yeah, I love that. And I, and I think it's the different ways that's key. So I was looking at one of the students in the current round of the course who was saying, you know, that she was Melbourne something or other photographer, but she literally just used that same phrase four or five times on the page. So actually that kind of repetition becomes irritating. It feels like SEO spamming. So it really is about, you know, really understanding what your core is. And, and so you're like being found online. Mine's all about sort of slaying the Google beast and grappling the Google beast and, you know, overcoming jargon and, you know, all. And, and yeah, so I think it's about to say it well, you've really got to know what your message is and your message has to have a bit of expansion to it. Like, you know, it has to have some room for maneuver so that you can come up with different phrases. And if you can't come up with different ways of expressing it, maybe it's not a good core message. Maybe it's a bit weak. So I think that's an interesting challenge. Okay. Point number three is all about metaphors and I love a good metaphor. So yeah, exactly. So basically how often do you see on websites words like quality, powerful, reliable, Really, they're all words that everyone uses that they've just become meaningless. 
who's going to say that their product's not quality or that it's not reliable or whatever it is? So what you want to do is use metaphors where you can and don't go overboard because it can get silly, um, but you want to use metaphors to back up those phrases. So if you want to talk about, you know, a super soft pillow, you say it's like laying your head on a cloud, like no one's laid their head on a cloud, but, you know, you're painting an image in people's minds. Or if you talk about, you know, our app is the most powerful social media tool on the planet, you can say something with Zeus-like power or like, you know, Greek god power or whatever it might be. Find things that back up that, like reliable. You, you talk about when you have a reliable friend, they're my rock. So it's making instances of where you can use a word that really is meaningless now because it's so overused and finding a way to make people relate to it in a different way. I love that. And I think it also evokes different type of emotions. I think often people are frightened of metaphors because, you know, saying something's got Zeus-like powers might feel a bit much. So I think that's when we can move to similes, um, which is, you know, when we say it's as something as a something. Do you know what I mean? So it's powerful, uh, like, you know, like a, I don't know, as powerful as a, a lion or something like that. You know, so it's not saying it is the thing. It's saying it's like the thing. That's always metaphor similes always confuse people a little bit. Um, but I mean, I think you can be bold and metaphors are bold you know and I think I think it's it's good and 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 I think it's if you have strong strong values and strong characteristics of your products you should play with that and playful writing and creative writing will really differentiate your copy from everyone else so I do think it's looking for words like innovative unique powerful quality affordable and almost highlighting them and forcing yourself to maybe pick two or three that you're going to swap out with something a bit more creative and a bit more playful. And that's great advice. Um, okay, next uh, point, point number four, is all about concrete claims. So, Yeah, us- so this is also almost backs up the point before about, you know, quality and reliable and powerful and all those sort of affordable. They don't mean a lot these days. The same when you make generic claims. So if you say, we'll respond to you fast or... Mm our customers love us or our email platform is super reliable. They actually don't really mean anything. So instead, that first example where you respond fast, say, we'll respond to you within 24 hours or our customers love us. 572 clients think we're fabulous. 872 five-star Google reviews. You know, use concrete claims to be able to back up what you're saying. And I guess in terms of reliability, we guarantee 99% uptime you see with like site hostings and things like that. So how can you take something that's a little bit like people just go, meh, everyone's saying that and actually back it up with something a little bit more concrete that you can deliver on? Yes, I always refer to this as specificity, which I can never say very well. So be specific in your claims. You know, and I, and I talk about how in the course I used to say, have lots and lots of worksheets. But then I would realize that lots means completely different things to different people, um, as does affordable. And I would say sometimes like affordable is a good one. That's what I recommend a lot because it means it will mean different things to different people. And that's okay sometimes. Uh, but, you know, giving an actual price is much more powerful because then that's the specifics and people can make a definite choice. So I love that one. I can't say specificity, but I do like specificity. Okay. So um, the next one I like kind of carries on from this and that's actually using 
percentages and statistics to back up your copy and make it more believable as well. Yeah, so this is actually also how you convey those percentages. So this is used a lot in sort of the charity space and, you know, the medical world. Um, Instead of saying 20% of people will be affected by this disease or 20% of people will, you know, come across this or 20 insurance, 20% of people will need to make a claim. Change that and say one in five people will be affected by this because when you suddenly change, 20% means not a lot. And these are so subtle things, but you don't even know your brain's processing it differently because suddenly when you say one in five, you're like, whoa, there's five people in my family. One in five of us could be impacted by this thing. So I think it's just, yeah, that's more about, yes, it's using to back up your message, but it's actually how you frame it makes people think differently. And if it's a negative percentage that you actually don't want to chalk up that much, it might be better conveying it as 20%. But when it's something like you're trying to get donations for a charity, you want to know one in two people in their lifetime will be affected by cancer. That's far more powerful than 50%. I love I love this one, and I think because I don't have a mathematical brain, I also it takes me longer to process percentages. It takes me longer to go, okay, so twenty percent of the people spent this much money. Well, what is that? I can't. It's a little bit of a slower get. One in five makes more sense to me. It's just an easier get. A third, even even saying like you know uh, what is? See, I don't even know how to say that. Thirty three point three percent. No, but like what would what would twenty percent be? It's like not a quarter. Fifth. There we go. This is how good at maths I am, people. But, you know, even a fifth for me is better, to, easier to get than 20%, but one in five is easier than a fifth. And I would say that I'm not the only mathematically challenged person out there. So the more sim- But I also like your reverse psychology tip there. If it's something you want to hide, then obfuscate it a little bit. Use that percentage to kind of play it down a little bit. I like that. And the next one is time. And, and this is the same kind of point, how you convey time. So take us through this one. Yeah, so this is very much similar to the percentage. So you could. this is really applicable for e-commerce stores too. So you could say seven to 21 days delivery time, or you could say one to three weeks. Now, what you actually want to do is basically the purchase process and where someone is, is where you want to determine whether you say seven to 21 days or one to three weeks. So before someone's bought something from you, or even I guess it applies to copywriters too, if someone's got to wait one to three weeks before you can start their job, before they've signed on with you and you're having those initial conversations or your e-commerce store before they've made the purchase, you want to say one to three weeks because it's a smaller number and it sounds like a quicker time frame. But then once they've purchased from you, you want to get into more specifics and you want to say the 7 to 21 days. Mm. Yeah, that's there's a bit of research and there was actually, I, I don't have the name of it here, but they actually talked about you want to minimise the numbers before purchase and then you want to minimise the units after purchase. Really interesting. I mean, I, I look at those and I'm not sure which one seems worse to me. 21 days seems like a very long time. Three weeks, you know, it's almost where you go less than a month. 
and then it sounds possible, yeah. you know, like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll turn this around for you in less than a week. Sounds better to me than six days. I don't, but then I'm not doing specificity, but I'm deliberately not doing specificity because six days delivery, t- delivery time is shit. So it's, it, do you know what I mean? Like you're hiding the thing by not being specific. So it's interesting, isn't it? Um, which one does everyone else think? Which one sounds better to you? One to three weeks, I guess. Sounds, I don't know. Sound, they both sound bad, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should have used a lesser example. No, no, no. I get what, I get what, you, I get what you're saying. But yeah, interesting. Um, but I like that. So minimize before purchase and then minimize units or kind of specify after purchase. Be yeah, more- so you're being more specific. Sorry. Yeah. If they think one to three weeks, which you've said before, but in reality, you're probably going to get that thing on day 20. Mm. You don't want that piss off factor or you're yeah. calling you up after seven days. If yeah. And I think we were just, you know, uh, kind of mitigate this whole thing by saying don't have a delivery time of one to three <laughs> weeks. And then, then you're sorted. <laughs> in e-commerce if that's Yeah, if that's your delivery time, get a different job. Okay, so the next one, and this, this is one of my favourite tools and something that is so obvious and yet I do not understand why people do not utilise this beautiful copywriting tool. It upsets me. So, Kath, take it, take it away. What is it? Yeah, so this is to do when you list bullet points. You want to include the most important points first and last because there's a thing in psychology that is an effect called the serial position effect. People remember what they saw first and people remember what they see last and in the middle is where it all gets jumbled up. So your least important point should be in the middle, most important at the start and at the finish. Uh, and I, I just like yayas to this. Yayas, I love this so much. I mean, I love, I just love bullet points full stop. You know, look at your page. If it doesn't have some bullet points on it, add them in. Um, and I love this. I think this is fantastic. The other little tip I would pass on on bullet points is to make the start word in the bullet points the same type of word. So either every start word is an adjective, every start word is a verb. So, you know, buy or something, something, get something, something, know something, something. And I always bold that first phrase. So that literally, if someone just scanned that list, they would totally get what the bullets are about. So it's bold the front phrase, maybe then a colon or a dash, and then the rest of the sentence, which to be honest, could not be read. So, you know, like for a recipe course, it might be like uh, 10 weeks, uh, three months of support, colon, a Facebook group where you can get help and answer your questions, you know, uh, seven modules, blah, 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 uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that works really, really well. But uh, that one of putting a, a good one at the start, because usually you do best to best to worst or even worse, alphabetical, which people I see people doing. But I love that. So it's like, it's the sandwich. It's all about the sandwich. We've talked about this again. Say what you're going to say, say it again, say it again, and then list middle and then list. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So... This also applies to like global navigation on your website because you talk a lot about this in your tune reviews. Mm. You actually place the information, like your contact should be be last because you want people to actually click there and that's the action you want to take. You want sort of your about and services towards the front. Then wacky testimonials and fluffy stuff in the middle. So it can apply as well to bullet points and I think website navigation. And I think it can apply to sales page copy. So, you know, you have your killer opening paragraph, then you have all your meat, your lettuce, your tomato, and you can see this in the recipe homepage. You know, it's like the core message right at the top 
and then that call message repeated at the bottom. And in the middle, it's all stuff that people might scan through and might be interested in. But, you know, it's got that what it is at the top and the pricing at the bottom, which are the two most important elements. Um, let's move on to the next one. I think people struggle a lot with this because I think, so this is about creating a sense of urgency. Um, I think there's a lot of false false urgency created. It's not the, the term that I'm looking for. False, false scarcity is done as well. So, you know, how do we create a sense of urgency without it just being bullshit, I guess? Yeah. The and there is a lot of bullshit. And that was the point I was going to make. You know, you have all these, you know, business coaches and things saying, you know, sign up for this and then it ends, but then you click cookies and then it's another three day countdown bullshit. So don't do that. People are smarter than that. Most people are anyway. But FOMO is real. Um, so Kate actually does this pretty well with actually having real scarcity with her course and CopyCon. And I'll give you my example. So the mastermind it coming up for CopyCon, I knew there was only 20-odd places. I was driving home from Sydney to Coffs Harbour when the tickets went on sale and I didn't want to miss out. So we pulled to the side of the road on the highway. I got my laptop out hot spotted to get my ticket because I love that. I love the, the, the panic, the <laughs> panic that I induced. That's, that's, that's it. Was it done in a fake way. It was completely authentic. And the FOMO for me was real. And Amazon actually does this quite decently as well from an e-commerce perspective. If you go have a look, they've got limited time offers and I'm not talking sales and stuff because I don't think you have to just do sales every now and all the time because then it just is useless. But, you know, literally do have things like this is only for three days or whatever it might be. And then the price, or this is if you're creating a course, this is, you know, a beat around and then it's going up. Those things can be done as long as they're done authentically. I think you need to be really careful as well. Like I don't think you should cross over your scarcity. So I don't think you should have time and price scarcity. So this year, for example, with CopyCon, I had no early bird pricing because I'm like, the scarcity is there are only 150 tickets. There are only 30 for the mastermind, 100 for the conference. That's it. That's the scarcity. And they've always sold out. So that's the scarcity. So I don't have price as well. And I think the other thing is if you're going to do things like discounts on your services um, or even on your shop, you have to have some breath between them. Um, you know, for example, like if you've just done, hey, look, you get 20% off with this discount code and lots of people order. And then two weeks later, you have a 30% off discount sale. And it's like, actually, I just feel a bit duped because you said that this was a good deal. And now you're just doing an even better deal. And I just bought the thing. And, you know, I think you've got to have some space between them where you're actually charging your regular pricing. And also you have to be consistent because as you said the whole cookie thing and, and if you're in a service the cookie thing with shops and the whole you have 10 minutes to get this in your cart if you don't buy it it's gonna i hate that it actually makes me feel quite sweaty and not want to buy but with if you're a service-based business and you kind of say hey i'm doing this special deal on blog posts or this or this offer and then you find out that that's actually the regular price and because you, your mate emailed two weeks later and they get the same quote it's like, ah, I feel duped. And any kind of duping like that leaves such a negative taste in the mouth. Worse than getting no offer at all. I remember I signed up for, I think it was Webinar Ninja or Webinar Jam. One of them's good, one of them's bad, and I should know which. But it was constantly, it was constantly the countdown clock. You've got 24 hours to get it at this price. And so I panicked and I bought it. Next day, went back to the site, it had reset. And yeah. it actively made me hate them 
unsubscribe and move to the other platform, which I think was Webinar Ninja. So got to be so careful, I think, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. One example that I think does it well, or maybe I'm just a sucker, is the airlines, where they'll say underneath the price, one seat left, five seats left. That gets me a little bit like, ooh, I better book this. Yeah. Yes, it's using the scarcity, and maybe it's bullshit. I don't know if the price is going to go up. I've worked in the travel industry before, and with car hire, we did do it once we've sold with this many cars, the price went up. So I think the airlines work similar, but that that's one that sucks me in because they have the underneath five seats left at this price. Oh, my God, I better book my copy. Oh, yeah, and, the, and the, the, you know, the, the uh, travel uh, hotel websites where it's like five other people are looking at this hotel right now. And you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I'm not sure it's true either. A little easy one for e-commerce stores, which is not so much scarcity, but a good little psycho- psychological Google tip is there's a little plug-in for WordPress. I think it's called Beaketing, um, uh, which just pops up and says, someone in Whoop Whoop Australia just bought one of these. And you're just about to either buy that product and that go, that gives you that bit of affirmation. Okay, well, Sue just bought it. I'm going to buy it. But also it does that thing of going, ooh, shiny object. I might buy that as well. So that's not the same sort of thing, but it, I just think it creates a sense of affirmation as well as urgency, which is quite helpful. So if you've got an e-commerce store, it's very much worth checking that out. Um, so the next one is a big one. We're up, we're up to number nine, how to overcome objections. So obviously everybody lands on your page wanting to buy from you, but feeling worried about buying from you. They want the thing, they've Googled the thing, they found you, but now they're like, how, I'm not quite sure. Get me over my fears and worries. How did we do that? And I think... Um, I'm going to use an e-commerce example of one that I think does this really well is the iconic. So basically free shipping and returns is always helps because objections are, oh my God, I want to buy this dress, but it's then going to cost me $20 postage and then returns. If this dress doesn't fit me, will it be easy to return? And I've purchased stuff from the iconic before. It's a super easy process to return stuff. So if you're an e-commerce store, Free shipping, if you can afford it, or at least be transparent about shipping um, and not hit it on people last minute. And returns, make the returns process easy. Say things like your information is safely secured. You know, you've got the SSL certificate on your website. You know, Um, we use encryption. It doesn't need to be like the core message on your page. But if people are searching out and needing insurance that you have a secure checkout process, say that your process is secure. And if you're talking about courses and things or things a bit more um, in that space, money back guarantees. Pretty much every big entrepreneur player in the world will write a 30-day money back guarantee on their course. It'll have a conditions within an inch of its life that you actually have to prove you've done the work, show your notes, blah, blah, blah. No one's getting their money back ever. <laughs> People say money back guarantee and people go, okay, well, if I'm investing $1,000 in this course, at least I can get my money back. If I have to stop you there. I just want to say that not all of us do that, Kath. <laughs> I, know. I, I don't have a 30-day guarantee. I have a two-week guarantee and you don't have to prove anything. It's just a no... It's just that I'll give you it back, but it's only two weeks and that, that, that I think makes it a bit different. And I, you know, I've had, I think in the last... Four years, I've had two people take that just because they bought it in a mad panic. You know, that sense of urgency 
can lead to buyer's regret. So you have to really be careful about that as well, which means as soon as someone's bought something from you, you have to show value as quickly as possible so that someone goes, yes, I bought the thing and I feel good about buying the thing. But yes, I agree with you. I think guarantees work really well. I think examples of other people, I think, I think what I'm trying to say here is you've got to know what the customer's objections are and they're going to be different for every single thing. You know, so for example, we'll use the wedding example again. You know, if I was to book a band for a wedding, my biggest concern would be that they're not going to play the music that I want them to play, that they're going to turn up late, which would be, a, you know, that's going to panic me, and that they're not going to be great at communication. Those are the things, because, you know, you've got a lot of moving parts in a wedding. So those would be my big objections. So if someone had a website covering that kind of topic, would need to cover those off. And you can do it in lots of different ways with statements. You can also do it with FAQs, guarantees. We guarantee blah, 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 or you get your money back. We guarantee the band will contact you within 24 hours or you get your money back. You know, it's things like that. So you've got to really know your audience that break down their objections and then reassure them that you're going to do that. And then we're, going to, we're coming to the next one, um, which I think ties into this as well, because we're, we're talking about kind of almost manipulating people. It's this kind of evil cast. Um, but then what, I like this one because it's, it's giving people back their free will. So explain what you mean by this. Yeah, so what I mean here is obviously with persuasive copywriting, sometimes you can feel like you said you have the buyer's remorse, you were sucked into buying with that 24-hour thing and you're like, you have manipulated me. No one wants to feel manipulated when they make a purchase. So there's actually things you can do in the copy and the language that you that you use that, yes, you've got those sort of hard-hitting, powerful, you know, persuasive messaging, but you actually, in the end, put the power back with them. But you're free to think about it or but you're free to ask me questions. So a phrase like but you are free puts them back in control. And you don't want to specifically say but you're free to decide you don't want to buy this from us. But you can say but you're free to ask us more questions or you're free to, you know, make sure it's the right time for you to do this course or... Or whatever, um, yeah. I like that. And I think, you know, one thing that I do on my pages I talk about who the course is for and then I very very clearly outline who the course is not for um and you know even these copy tips can apply to even when you're talking to people on the phone and you're trying to sell them into your service you know I will often say you know I'm I'm not I'm not going to sell you into this like I don't want anyone taking this course who doesn't genuinely want to be on this I don't want anyone working with me who doesn't genuinely feel I'm a good choice because I don't want you being dissatisfied and going out into the world and and being negative about it so the choice is yours you know I can give you the facts I can give you the features but at the end of the day you have to feel good about making this decision and I find and that's not necessarily reverse psychology I guess it is to a degree but it's kind of saying I'm no I'm not going to sell you I'm not going to tell you that this is the right thing for you I'm going to give you all the information that I have and maybe use some of these little tricks a little bit and then yeah I love that but the choice is still yours do not click that buy button unless you feel good about it Um, and I think that's so so important I love that and I love that line but you are free to and I think it's having little phrases like that that make copywriting easier little swipe file phrases like that you just write whenever I write a sales page from now on I'm going to remember to include cat a little line but you are free to I think that makes it super powerful so talking of powerful god I'm so good at these segues (laughs) the final point number 11 is the power of the 12th one I forgot oh did you this is a bonus point okay 
The power of because. Take us through this one. Yeah, so I'm actually going to refer and read out some things here. So there was a study done in 1978 to illustrate the effect of justifying things by using the phrase because. So it was basically people were standing in line to use a Xerox photocopying machine and the first person said, excuse me, I have five pages. May I use the Xerox machine because I'm in a rush? The second one just says, excuse me, I have five pages. May I use the Xerox machine? The third one, excuse me, I have five pages. May I use the Xerox machine? Because I have to make copies. So you've got because I'm in a rush, no because, because I have to make copies. Like, well, that's what photocopies do. But what was actually proven from that study was when people said before, because I'm in a rush, 94% of people agreed to let them go in front. Mm-hmm. And 93% of people allowed people to go in front when they said, because I have to make copies. So a fluff thing that doesn't even mean anything, 93% of people still obliged to let that person in front where only 60% of people agreed to someone cutting in when they didn't have that because. So it's actually when you're using language, think about how you can tie in a because. And to be honest, people use this in sales a lot, um, in sales conversations. They say, because it will do this. So just simply the power of using that word in your copy can make a difference. Wow. People justify as to why to let you, they should let you do something. So not, yeah, not just stating bald facts. I mean, I think it comes into, I think it comes into everything. It's the kind of the features and benefits and advantage thing as well. Like, you know, people going, we have 20 years experience. I don't care. What does that help? How does that help me? Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, we're the, we're the perfect people to help you. Well, that's not going to help me. We're the perfect people to help you because we've worked with businesses like you before and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I think that's a great little, little cheat sheet yeah, tool as I well. I use it on the phone, like with people, I'll say, yeah, okay, so I can send you through a proposal. Um, but because I'm taking bookings in advance, you want to make sure that, you know, you lock it in. Otherwise we'll be doing this in January or Feb. So I bring those things even into my conversations with clients. God, I'm not calling you up. You sound terrifying. Okay, so what was your finest, final bonus tip? Yes. Yeah, so, and you actually do this as well in your email campaigns, Kate, is you want to get people curious. This is quite specific to emails, but you know how you use personalization? So people love that. That's one thing. But also in subject lines, I want to give an example that um, I found online of Barack Obama used when he was running office for office. These are three subject lines he used. Hell no. This is potentially devastating. Meet me for dinner. Three, don't you want to open and know? what those three emails are about. Um, So that's my last tip is if you're an e-commerce store, you don't necessarily have to say in your subject line 20% off sale on now. You can get a bit smarter with getting people to open it. And, of course, you have to wear open rate with then once they open it, the message has to relate to it. You don't want people to feel tricked into opening it, but 
Piquing people's curiosity is a big one. And something that leads on to that as well, um, I've heard a lot of school of thought is having a PS line under your sort of right at the end of your email because people are like, ooh, what's this little tip bit of information at the end? So people are naturally curious. How can you play on that? Tweak, tweak, tweak that curiosity. I mean, I think we had a lot of this with, you know, clickbaity blog headlines and, and being a bit unusual and using unusual adjectives and of course with email subject lines the problem is is you can't really use percentages and pricing in your subject lines because it will get uh, you know flagged for spam so that little bit of curiosity you know um you know it, it, it does really work you know um yeah I, I think the truth is i would open any email from obama but those ones were great examples <laughs> Uh, and I just think it's being, again, I, I think, you know, another little tip for psychologists is to be, be a little bit playful, you know, step outside the norm and, you know, don't be so conventional. People like to play, people like to be entertained and, and that can make them think. So, look, I think those were amazing tips. I'm just going to do the TLDR version of them. Um, so use active voice, repeat the core message in different ways, use metaphors and similes, specificity. Make generic claims concrete. Convey percentages with more impact. Convey time with more impact. Uh, the bullet points, most important one at the start and the end. Create a sense of urgency and scarcity, but not false urgency and false scarcity. Overcome objections. Uh, use the line, but you are free to give the customer back their freedom. Use the word because to justify your statements. And finally, create curiosity. Kath Fowler, that was amazing. So to finish off, where can people find out a little bit more about you? Sure. So if you just um, look up kathfowlermarketing.com or just Google Kath Fowler and you'll see the whole page is pretty much me these days. Woohoo! Just Google Kath Fowler and you won't have to look too far to find me. But if you're looking for a blog on this, you won't find that on my website. (laughs) (laughs) This is awesome. Yeah, so you can Google uh, Kath Fowler Marketing because she's obviously a graduate of the Recipe for SEO Success and probably one of, one of my most dedicated students who's actually applied what she's learned, which is always rather satisfying. Well, thank you very much for that, Kath, and thank you for everyone who's here to listen. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll upload this into the membership area soon. And for those who are watching the playback, if you've got any questions for Kath, pop them into the DMC group and I'm sure she can help you out. But that was brilliant, Kath. Thank you ever so much. Regular listeners will know that at this time in the show, we like to read out a review. And today's review is from Smilin Samyam from Australia. I hope I said that right. Since making the decision to step out on my own as a copywriter editor, I have been hooked on the Hot Copy Podcast. While these brilliant lady writers, can't we just be writers? Just because we're ladies. While these brilliant writers (laughs) share such invaluable tips, guidance and resources, they are also absolutely hilarious. Good comeback. That was a good comeback. That was, yeah. Thank you, Belinda and Kate, and your awesome guests, for such an entertaining and educational pod. And thanks to you for listening. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a rating. Five stars would be nice. And review on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. Your review will help others find us and we'll give you a shout out on the show. You can also head to the hotcopypodcast.com and leave your comments on the blog for this episode. And tell us which of the psychological tips stood out to you most. So thank you very much, Belinda. Well, thank you, Kate. Until next time, happy writing. Thanks for listening right to the end. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy my two other podcasts. I have one called The Recipe for SEO Success, which is all about SEO tips, advice, and helping you grapple the Google beast. And my other, The Confessions of a Misfit Entrepreneur, which is all about dealing with the stresses of running your own business. You can find both of them on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh no, here we go. I can do this. I can do this. Just give me a second, okay? Talk amongst yourself. I've got this.